0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So, wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right. Good morning, everybody. So, I want to ask you what's the name of this show? Undercover Boss. How many of y'all have seen this show before? You know, what is, you know what we love about this show, what I think is so compelling? This is a two-time uh, Emmy Award winning show, and the, I think the reason it's caught on in our culture is that it is so different than everything else that we see in terms of leadership. And we think of leadership as ascension. We think of everything as going up. And the idea that an owner, the idea that a CEO or an executive would descend down uh, into the organization is a very powerful thing. In fact, I think of it, uh, this is the vision of this show. The vision of the show follows a high-level executive or owner as they slip anonymously into the rank and file of their organizations. Each week, a different leader. Uh, will sacrifice the comfort of their corner office for an undercover mission to examine the inner workings of their operation. And in a way, this is kind of the value, this is the idea that we're studying right now uh, in this series. So I want to welcome everybody. Everybody say good morning. Good morning and welcome. And we wave to everybody who's on the online. We're glad to have you guys with us and whatever you can uh, be uh, with us in this weird time. It's still a weird time, but we're working our way through it, right? Uh, I had a friend this week who sent me this. I got to just share, share this with you. He said, um, 10 years from now, you're going to pull out of a pair of pants uh, out of the closet. And you're going to find a mask in the pocket. And you're going to think to yourself, what a weird year and season that was. You'll chuckle to yourself, and then you'll pick up your machete and continue to cross the wasteland, keeping in the shadows to avoid roving gangs. (laughs) I I emailed him back. I said, don't ever send me anything like that ever, ever again. But we're in a series right now and we're, we're calling the series Descending into Greatness. Say that with me. Descending into Greatness. And here's what we're looking at uh, in the series. We're taking a closer look at the life of Jesus and the different ways that Jesus himself has shaped human history. We're looking at the enormity of his life and that by any stretch, Jesus was the single dominant figure if you will, will, in human history. Uh, I like to collect quotes uh, because, as a speaker, that's a good thing to do. And I've these are two that I have. This is a quote by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, the name of Jesus was not so much written as it was plowed into the history of the world. And H.G. Wells says it this way. He says, a historian like myself, who doesn't even call himself A Christ follower noted that after two millennia uh, finds the picture of the world centering irresistibly around the life and the character of this most significant person. He goes on to say that the historian's test of an individual's greatness is what did they leave to grow? Did they start men and women toward thinking along fresh lines with a vigor that persisted after them? And by any test, by any measure, Jesus himself stands First. And so we're in a series right now and we're looking at the enormity of the life of Jesus. But interestingly, what I want us to do is notice the trajectory of his life and be challenged by it. And so this is kind of the idea underneath uh, the series. And this is what I've been saying. Uh, we're going to look at some of the conventional things that we uh, know about Jesus. We're going to look at those again this year. And in this way, I think we're going to um, remember And here's what I would say. Part of our faith, part of our journey uh, as followers of Christ, of course, is to remember important things. And then I want us to look at some of the unconventional things uh, about Jesus. And in this way, I want us to learn. And so hopefully by the end of our series, we're going to have a better understanding of who Jesus uh, really is and the enormity and the impact of his life. We've been branding the series Uh, if you will, around some of the most compelling words ever written about Jesus. And here's why they're compelling. Uh, They're compelling because they are helping us understand that Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. And that's kind of a mystery for us to get our minds and hearts around. And years ago, uh, we believed that a guy by the name of Paul the Apostle, uh, while he was in prison in Rome wrote a letter to the churches in the Philippian region. Uh, And uh, in this letter that we now know, uh, we call the book of Philippians, he wrote the most compelling words uh, ever written about the two ideas of God in human flesh and God in totality uh, in understanding. And we know it as Philippians chapter 2. We're going to focus a little bit on it every week, and I want to read this to you again. We're going to begin in verse 5 of chapter 2. Here's what Paul writes. He says, so in your relationships with one another, so he's teeing it up this way, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he writes, God, uh, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And notice what Paul is pointing out here, even still yet, the idea of Roman crucifixion was a distinctive marker all in and of itself. So he says, by becoming obedient to death, even death. On a cross, he's drawing attention to it. Therefore, he says, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you this morning for again for Paul's words. And I'm grateful, God, that we have. Uh, still yet, a wonderful privilege where we can come together uh, as the body of Christ, whether we're doing that in person, whether we're doing that by, by worshiping uh, with this church family online. And we have this wonderful opportunity to think deeply and strongly about what Paul is writing and the impact of those words and the impact of your life on human history. And so, God, I pray that uh, more than just even that this morning, that you would use this weekend, you would use this space to say something to every single person listening to my voice, that you would say something fresh and new to our lives. Because, God, these are days when we're looking for hope. These are days when we're looking for meaning. These are days, oh, God, when, when we see so much um, unrest in our world. We are looking for a peace, oh, God, that would surpass every understanding. And we believe it's coming from you. So would you help us in that quest, we pray, in the strong and mighty name of Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. And so what we began in our series, we began and we looked at the idea of humility as a virtue. And we asked ourselves simply this question, where did that come from? I mean, when we see the life of Jesus, did Jesus... Uh, Was he humble because he saw that represented in other people? Was he just sort of embracing the culture of the day? And what we noticed, what we've learned so far in this series, that actually the idea of humility as a virtue first began to emerge right after the crucifixion of Jesus. And so, again, what we're learning, what we're being reminded of uh, in these days is that our faith doesn't just begin in a book. It begins in an event, the crucifixion And the resurrection of Jesus. And I remember years ago when I was uh, planning our church and we were just, you know, very small and very in the beginning days, way back even into the living room of our, uh, uh, of our home where that's our first gathering. You know, we, we started thinking about what would our church stand for and what would our, our church comprise? And we wanted it to be a place where people could uh, understand with clarity who Jesus was, and then come to embrace him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so this is the idea uh, that Paul is uh, helping us understand. And he underscores this over and over again. And this weekend, what I want to do is I want to focus on two important things that happen in these verses that Paul writes, namely in verses six and seven. And so I'm going to put Uh, We're going to put on the screen there, Philippians 2, 6, and 7a, and I want us to read this out loud, and I want to point out two things for us this weekend in our series. Ready? Let's read it. Ready? Go. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. And what I want us to think about this morning, first of all, I'm going to ask us to put our thinking caps on, and I want us to... To go at this from a little bit of a theological point of view. So for the next few moments, I want to, I want to lay some track down that we're going to build the rest of the message, the rest of the series on. And hey, I'll share with you a couple of things that, you know, if you're going to lunch after, you can impress all your friends with this knowledge. You don't even have to quote me. You can just say, you know, I was thinking about this and you can just lay all this stuff out. It'll be really super impressive. Come on. Are you with me? All right. But anyhow, here's what I, here's what I is going on that I want to point out. A lot of us miss the point of what Paul is really wanting us to understand about Jesus in his divinity and where it connects with his humanity and why that's important and why that's, that matters. I was talking to someone a, a while back, and I was explaining this, trying to do my best to explain what is one of the deepest mysteries, quite honestly, the Christian experience, and, and, and I could tell. You ever, you ever communicate with somebody and you can tell when you're not winning? Right? You ever say that every now and again? Like, you know, you're, maybe you're married and you're talking to your spouse and you're trying to explain something and, and you can tell. This is not really going over like I had actually planned for it to go over. And I, and I could just tell it wasn't going really far. And there was a lot of misunderstanding here. And I thought, if we're ever going to get to the point of what is so beautiful... About the life of Christ, we got to understand. We got to go through this particular understanding. And Paul uses, for those of you who might be interested, Paul uses an interesting Greek word, which is a uh, which is in this phrase is used as a participle. And, and now you're looking at me going, "I didn't know we were going to do grammar." Okay, so I want you to stay with me for a moment. He uses a participle, and that participle is the word. Being, and you'll see it if we put the verse back on the screen. Uh, you could see the verse. You could see who being in very nature God. And a lot of times when we read this uh, in Greek, a participle is always circumstantial. Now, this is important because it means that it literally means how we understand this depends on the circumstances going on around what he's saying. Are you tracking with me so far? You're looking at me like going, I'm not sure it matters, but hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to trust you, okay? So he's using this uh, important word. He's using it uh, as a participle, and here's my point. A lot of us misunderstand uh, what he says, and we think of it like this when it says, Paul says, who being in the very nature God did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, something to take advantage of. And we use it, uh, when you think about this, Paul is saying one of the ways we could uh, use this idea is to um, use it as a way to predict what, what, what he calls cause. I was thinking about this because, you know, uh, March is always baseball season. Give me a hoot-hoot if you're a baseball fan. And I'm a big Braves fan. I I was a Braves fan before it was cool to be a Braves fan. (laughs) I thought I'd see how that went, okay, how that landed. But um, anyhow, uh, this would be let me give you an example. If I was gonna pull this over into baseball language, I might say something like this Being that we're the Atlanta Braves, we can predict our team will win the World Series. (laughs) That wasn't supposed to be funny okay? But so, um, and that expresses cause. Here's what I'm literally saying. Because, watch this, because we're the Braves, we're going to win the World Series, okay? Now, hold your laughter, okay? That expresses cause. Now, the other way you could use this participle, sometimes it's used as a concessive And it means like this, because here's the way we would probably use it with the Braves. Here's what a little history. The Braves haven't won a World Series since 1996. So it's not like it's red hot that we're all thinking the Braves are going to win the World Series. So if that's true, we would use it as a concessive, and we'd say it like this. In spite of the fact we're the Braves, now now you're with me, we're going to win the World Series. And a lot of times, honestly, you guys, as a communicator, whenever I hear this idea spoken of, this is how we think of this verse. In spite of the fact he was God, he did not regard equality with God something to be taken advantage of. Now, here's what happens if we believe that. We are lopping off of our faith the sheer beauty of his goodness. And what Paul's wanting us to understand, he didn't write it as a concessive. He writes it as a cause. It's not in spite of the fact he was God. It's because of the fact he is God. And this is why this is important. It, 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 it gives us an opportunity to get in on the sheer Beauty of the goodness of God You know, we'll often say this when we pray. Um, there's a verse in the Old Scripture uh, in the Old Testament Holy Scripture that says this: that um, God renews His mercy in our direction while we sleep. "Your mercy is new," the psalmist writes, "Every morning." How many of you all like mercy? I was sharing at nine o'clock. There was a thing when I was growing up, uh, used to flick things with your finger. How many of y'all remember doing that? I'm probably showing my age. You would do that, and I remember I'm the middle of three sons. One time we, I was in the house, we're all in there as a family, and, and 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 my little brother, who's now way bigger than I am, but when he was little and helpless, and I was the older, mean older brother, I flicked him one day on his head, and it and it echoed through the whole house. And I'll never forget when I did that. There was this moment, you know. I did that, and I could hear my dad way out in the uh, in the family room of the other house. He's reading the paper. Back in the day when you when you would read the paper, and I could hear all this rustling. And I could tell he threw the paper down, and he was coming for me. And there's that moment where you think, my life is about to end as I know it, right? And my brother's over here, it didn't hurt, but he's like, right, he's like writhing like it's the end of the world, you know, and just doing everything he can to watch me die. (laughs) And my dad comes out and my dad snatches me up off the floor. I can remember it like it was yesterday. He looks at me and and I'm, I'm going, here it comes. And he goes, don't ever do that to your brother again. And he puts me down and he walks out of the room. And I gave my life to Christ right there. (laughs) It was like this moment of mercy. And what Paul is wanting us to understand is that, you know, out of the sheer goodness of God, he willingly set some things aside so he could clear the way that broken, sinful people like you and me can have a way to know him. Isn't that great? It's not in spite of the fact he's God. It's because he's God. When Beth and I were starting our church years ago, and we, we decided because we, we saw some others doing this, we thought, well, this would be a good thing to do. We should, what, what is our church going to stand for over the years? I mean, what are the values that, that we say that these will never change? And we wrote eight of them. And the second core value of, of the church you're worshiping in this morning is, is literally around this value. And it comes out of another phrase that Paul said or just like this in Romans chapter two, verse four, where he says this, it is the kindness of God that leads people to him. My sense would be if I, you know, went around with a microphone. And I said, you know what? 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 What was it that drew you to consider ever bowing a knee, bowing a heart toward this God who became human flesh? A lot of our testimonies would would talk about the kindness of God reflected in the lives of His people. That would be my story. I just began to notice when, when, when as, as a sixteen-year-old, very skinny but very good-looking beach bum, right, with really not a lot of direction, you know, I began, when I began to consider Christ, I noticed that there were not everybody, but I noticed certain people, their lives were marked by such kindness, such grace, such goodness. There was such a spirit of redemption that was going on in their lives. And I have to be honest with you all, I was just drawn to it. I wanted to know what is that quality and could that quality that I sense in those human beings could that be a quality that becomes a part of my character a part of my being I mean we're right now we're we're living in a world where a lot of people are weighing evidence and, and sometimes I hear people say this about their faith well in spite of what I've seen in Christianity I still decided to become a Christ follower. That should make every one of us sad because Jesus is pointing us toward something else. And Paul said, really, that it's interesting. Paul said that he didn't view equality with God something to be grasped, and scholars believe that Jesus set some Things aside. If you want to take some notes and impress all your friends at lunch, scholars believe he set aside his omnipresence, which is his ability to be present everywhere at all times. I was praying with a guy this week on a Zoom call, and I literally said in my prayer, I said, You know, Lord, I'm so thankful you're not separated by time and distance. You're there, you're here, you're you're that kind of a God. But when we look at the life of Jesus on the face of the earth, here's what we notice. He was confined to a body. He was born in Jerusalem. He started as a baby. And so he gave that up. Scholars say he gave up some of his immortality. He got tired. He experienced hunger, pain, thirst. He could bleed. He could die. You study the gods of all these other religions. They aren't like that. You gave up everything? Scholars say not only that, he gave up his omniscience, his all-knowing. I remember the story. Maybe you do too. When Jairus, a man, comes to him and his and his and his daughter had died. Can you imagine a more desperate moment than that? And and so Jarius comes to Jesus and says, "My God, my my daughter is." Is, is fallen ill, please will you come? And Jesus is on the way to minister to Jairus' daughter, and a woman touches him. Do you remember what he says? He turns around to the disciples and he goes, Who touched me? I imagine they're looking at him like he's nuts, like Lord, I mean, in all this crowd, I mean, what do you what do you mean? Who touched? That wasn't a rhetorical question. And so we can look at that and point to that and go, Did he he gave up? He set aside some of his knowing. He set aside, scholars believe, some of his power. It would appear that he used his power as the Father directed him. At one point, remember when he said, do you not know that I could ask my Father to send 10,000 angels in this moment and turn this whole story all around? But not my will, your will. I mean, this is the kind of God that you and I are here this morning to worship. We're a God that not in of the fact he was God. No, 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 no. Because he's God, he willingly set some things aside so he could create a space for you and for me. And we can throw the verse up there again. if Mike, if you're able to do it, it says that he became nothing. And then look at what it says in verse 7. It says that he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. I mean, you, you show me another religion where the one we worship serves humanity. You're not going to find it. I mean, here's what I want to tell you. This is one of the reasons we're here, just the sheer enormity of the impact of this single, solitary life. And Paul is helping us get our minds and our hearts around it because left to our own devices, we have a tendency to become our own God. And we turn all the arrows of our world to our own selves. I think there's something within every human heart that values to be known, to be accepted, to be loved, to be encouraged. All of that is a good thing. But here's what I know about me, and this is what I believe I know about you. We have a tendency when that gets out of check that we become a person for whom all the arrows seem to point at us. Our our flesh cries out. For recognition. I, I, I know I've shared this story of when I was young in my ministry and I'd served as an associate, and Beth and I went to this precious church in North Florida, and, and they were so kind. They just taught me how to be a minister in so many ways. And, and uh, we were there, and, and, and there was this huge gathering up uh, in our home, uh, near our home, of all the clergy in our tradition. And we got there, and the very senior leader, Of all of this clergy gathering, I was up getting, uh, going through a line to get some food to take back to myself, take back for my wife. And, and he looked over at me and he said, Hi, Dale, how are you? And how's the church? How's, how's Monticello? And, and I I remember coming back to my wife and going, my gosh, he knows who we are. He recognizes us. And my wife goes, you have a name tag on. It, it it says Dale, it says the church. It's like the preacher who's driving home after church, and he says, "Man, I just wonder how many great preachers there are in the world." And his wife says, "One less than you probably think there is." That was not Beth, by the way. Okay, there's something about us, right, that just clamors to be recognized and and to be known, and and so. Jesus modeled for us what he invites us into that works that spirit out of us. And let me tell you what it's called. It's called servanthood. Jesus served as an example. We serve to kill the inner demon within us that claims to be its own God. He didn't regard equality with God as something to be grasped. He was God, but he emptied himself and became nothing, taking on the form of a servant. This is what is so powerful. I'm learning in these days over and over and over again what that really is supposed to look like in our own lives. Richard Foster writes in Celebration of Discipline, more than any other single way, he said, the grace of humility is worked into our lives. The grace of humility is worked into our lives. The grace of humility is worked into our lives through the discipline of serving one another. I can tell you two ways for me that I've been focusing on. These are just my life hacks around growing humility, and I commend them to you. Maybe you have your own you'd share with me. One is I'm learning more and more how to serve just in the mundane. I don't believe at the end of the day our lives are going to be defined by this bright, shining moment or two of greatness we may have. I think our lives will be defined by the everyday faithfulness. Faithfulness is strung together that make up a life. Right? You ever get around people that out of just the the just out of the character and the disposition of who they are just live life in a way that just is so beautiful. And you ever been around somebody like that and you find yourself just being humbled by that? I believe more and more that's what God is calling his church. I have a friend of mine who I know, Kevin Queens, a pastor in Tennessee. And he says this, it's so powerful to me. He said, early, he said, early in my life, he said, I aspired as a Christ follower to do great things for God. And he said, now as I've grown, as I've matured, I'm coming to the place that I just want to do things for a great God. Might all of us, right, do things for a great God. We're serving in the mundane, and then for me, I've been learning what it's like to serve uh, in the hidden. Uh, That what I'm doing that no one else knows but Jesus. And Jesus says this, it's interesting, Uh, In Matthew chapter 6 verses 3 and 4, he says, hey, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand even know what your right hand is doing so that you uh, may be giving in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Richard Foster goes on, he says, Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service, and nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. It is the flesh that whines against service, but it screams in hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and for recognition. Woo, Lord God, we just want to take a moment and to declare that, Lord, with our voice declare it with our mind, declare it with our heart, the name of Jesus that is still going around the globe. God, I pray that you would give us a fresh vision in these days of who you are and a fresh vision of who you're calling us to be as your children, that we might in our era, in our day, in our season, in our circle, don the the towel Dawn the basin and serve the world around us. This we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. By his grace and his goodness, go in his peace. And we'll see you next weekend. Praise God.